0: This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 391.
1: This podcast is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN's patented ingredient, Live Steady, has a remarkable ability to provide a steady release of energy without spiking blood sugar levels. So, fuel for your next personal best with UCAN, and you can save 20% on your order. If you go to UCAN.co forward slash MTA, use the code MTA to save 20%. That's UCAN.co slash MTA.
0: Thanks also to Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. Save 15% by visiting Prevenex.com and using the code MTA, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and use the code MTA to save 15%.
1: Hey, we know how hard it is to wait for the next episode of the MTA podcast to come out. That's why you should go subscribe to the Strength Running Podcast. We've had the host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, on our show a few years ago, and we know you'll love his podcast. It's a blend of coaching calls, expert interviews, and practical advice to solve your running problems. You can subscribe to the Strength Running Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, and also you can learn more at strengthrunning.com. Welcome to the Marathon Train Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we bring you a marathon success story with Bill Drinkward, a podcast listener from Oregon who recently completed his first 50 mile ultra. And also, don't forget, as an Academy member, you can get expert help in achieving your goals. Find out how to join when you visit Marathon Training Academy.com. So, Angie, here's something cool. Apparently, this year, more than one person has run 106 marathons in a row. <laughs> This article, in Runner's World, says Kate Jaden of Derbyshire, England, was officially recognized by the Guinness World Records for completing the most marathons on consecutive days, running 106 total. And she actually shares the record with Faye Cunningham and Emma Petrie, who also did the same thing this year, 106 marathons in 106 days.
0: That's amazing. And I think the article went on to say that Kate Jaden did it while working a full-time job And I think at the end, her knee was hurting really bad and it ended up showing on an MRI that she had fractured her knee. Wow. Yeah, I I just, it's unbelievable, really. Just so much respect for people who take on records like that. I did two marathons in two days and it was like, that's enough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And something else that's cool, um, Sally McRae, who's an ultra runner that we had on the podcast back in uh, December of 2021. She's got some epic project that she's working on, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, she's doing what's called her Choose Strong project to honor the memory of her mother who passed away of cancer a few years ago. And Sally just finished Leadville. It was her third 100-plus miler in 35 days. So she also did Badwater 135 in 35 hours, 35 minutes. And she finished the Angel's Crest 100 miler in 29 hours and 17 minutes and then finished Leadville (laughs) So I yeah, that's mind blowing. And she's not done with the challenges she set for herself, but very inspiring to witness for sure.
1: We'd love to give some shout outs to folks in the community. This comes from Alexandra. I'll have Angie read it here.
0: Yeah, she's in the academy, and she says, Y'all, I got my husband to run a marathon with me. The same man who, when I signed up for MTA back in 2016, said he'd never, ever run even just a half with me. (laughs) Six years later, we've come so far. Turns out the key is trail running, and I even got him to train all summer for the rim-to-rim-to-rim of the Grand Canyon. A 50-miler is coming up.
1: Nice. Wow. (laughs) She really got him deep then. Yes. (laughs) They're doing all that. So that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that, Alexandra. I would also like to say congrats to a coaching client of ours, Heather Johnson, who completed the Angry Owl 24-hour race.
0: I love that name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And she actually earned third place overall, second place female, and the first place Masters runner.
0: That is so awesome. Congratulations, Heather.
1: But when we asked folks... Like, what kind of episodes do they really enjoy? What would they love to hear more of? A lot of people said they would love hearing from just regular everyday runners who are out there trying to get it done and become a better version of themselves. You know, we do have a lot of, like, elite runners on the podcast, a lot of authors, experts, and it's always fun to talk to those people. But uh, we do always enjoy just hearing stories from people in our community. So that's why we're really stoked to have Bill Drinkward on the podcast this episode. He has been uh, training with us for the last three years or so with Coach Steve on our team and just kicking butt. I mean, this guy is on a roll. So in this conversation, you're going to hear Bill's journey as a runner. He'll describe how he went from lying on a cot in the medical tent at the Honolulu Marathon to getting smarter, faster, better as a runner and qualifying for Boston multiple times and eventually completing his first 50 miler. Well my way, well my way, well my way. Now that I'm well on my way, well on my way, well on my, way. my way. All right, we're on the podcast now with Bill Drinkward joining us from Oregon. Bill, welcome to the MTA podcast.
2: Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate
1: the chance to talk to both of you. All right, give us an idea where in Oregon you're at now because you were in portland for a long time
2: yeah yeah my wife kathy and i we just relocated uh this week actually to sisters oregon kind of for those that might have heard of Bend, Oregon, uh, we're about 20 minutes out of Bend and in the high cascade country of, of Central Oregon. And this is an area that I've recreated and loved all my life, but never had a chance to live. And mm. one of our dreams was to come over and live here and experience the best of it that way.
0: You were saying off mic before we got started that good skiing in the area and then, of course, lots of trail running. So that is kind of something that you're dabbling in.
2: Yeah, it, it's uh, coming from uh, Portland, Oregon, where I was, it, you know, road running was sort of the majority of what was available. So that's what I trained with. But now in Sisters, it's tremendous volume of trails. And, and so there's, you know, endless trail training ground. And then um, it is a cold mountain area. So in the wintertime, the skiing and snowshoeing and i actually just bought in late spring a pair of ski mountaineering skis and i haven't really skied in about 25 years but uh, i'm gonna <laughs> go I'll wander the mountains and you know try not to get yeah uh, get hurt doing it but pick up a new sport that way and challenge myself with ski mountaineering uh combine my love of mountains with uh, a new hobby that's awesome. That's yeah. exciting. Be great
1: cross training yeah. for, for running sure. too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Here's something I was just wondering, Bill, I've never met anybody with your same last name. So what's the origin of your last name?
2: Well, uh, it's actually a Dutch name originally. So my uh, my grandfather, prior to the depression, uh, immigrated to the United States from, from Holland. And when he got to, they all came in through the East Coast. Uh, and he recognized quickly that uh, uh, the name like var Drinkvar- Art was never going to sound very good to the American <laughs> ear. So he, you know, anglicized it to drink Ward. And huh. one thing that is nice about having a name like I've got is if somebody has the same last name, they are family. In, in one way or another, they are family. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody else out there with the name. So it's kind of fun. It's, it's not
0: fun. common like Spencer. <laughs> yeah, <guess>
2: everyone yeah. <laughs> <has>. <laughs> yep, absolutely.
1: Is it an occupational name? Like, is there a meaning to drink vart?
2: As I understand the translation, it meant drinking duck. So I, I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's what the family uh, legacy uh, story behind it is. Okay. So you know, it was an occupation in that way back that meant something to somebody. But uh.
0: So we always love to hear how people got started in running before we really dive into some of the amazing things that you've accomplished recently. Tell us you know how you got into running and particularly long long distance running
2: well i uh when i was in college i had my sophomore year of college i was down at occidental in los angeles and i saw a little post on the wall that said uh you know any anybody want to try out for the track team and you know i thought well college track team how hard can it be right (laughs) (laughs) down there and I'd, i'd been doing a lot of cycling and other forms of fitness but uh i had been told in high school through other athletics, I played a lot of basketball and soccer and other things, and, and that that I was a, you know a, a good runner, but I never really experimented with it. And so I went out for the college uh, track team there for a year. And I went down the day before track practice, and I ran a mile on the track uh, as fast as I could just to see where I was. And uh, so I did a five and a half minute mile. And then through the four months of being on the track team, I. I was the slowest runner on the, on the team. Uh, I didn't, you know, obviously collegiate athleticism is pretty intense. And there was just some fantastic athletes on that small college team. But uh, I ended up improving to a four and a half minute mile in four months wow. with the help of the teammates and coaches that taught me how, how to run better. And I did literally just wore myself out doing it, you know. So, I, I mean, I was pretty broken by the end of that four months in terms of my my love of running you know It was just I didn't continue with it uh, as I transferred to a different college I, I transferred to Oregon State University to finish my education uh, in civil engineering and as I made that transition back up to Oregon you know my interest kind of took a different direction but I, I it's it planted a seed that hey maybe I am an athlete in some way or I can run you know so I casually jogged and whatever as I did, you know, the next several decades of, of running. But what really caused it to resurge, I was in my 40s. And I had by that point, I, I frankly, gained a, a lot of weight. I was, I didn't feel well. And I was at the doctor and they're starting to talk about things like prediabetes and, you know, those kind wow. of health hmm. conditions. And, I just you know started to become interested in trying to reclaim my health a little bit. I was recognizing especially in my industry, which was construction, that a lot of folks in our fifties and sixties were having major health problems, and I was doing everything to put myself on that same track and I needed to break mm-hmm. that path and So uh, I thought, well, if I could run, maybe I'll lose weight. And then I read that very inspirational book, Ultramarathon Man by Dean Carnassus, that kind of said, like, you know, showed me that, wow, people actually run hundreds of miles, you know, like, Maybe I can run a few more miles and, and get a little better at this and, and lose weight. And uh, so that was kind of my initial motivation to start again.
0: What distances did you start with? Did you like, you know, do a 5K first or how did that progress?
2: Yeah, I um, got inspired by that book by Dean to go ahead and uh, sign up for my first marathon, uh, the Bend Marathon uh, in Oregon here. And I went ahead and, you know, hit the registration button and found a runner's world training plan and it was kind of in that time frame that I actually started to uh, I found your guys podcast and just start gathering information and put myself Uh, into the fray of training for a marathon. And when uh, I I did a half marathon first, uh, about a month and a half beforehand in Portland, the Shamrock Half, just to get an experience with a race and see what that felt like. And then uh, went to the Bend Marathon and that race took off. There was a, a, a pacer that had a 355 sign and I thought, well, I'll start here and just try and keep that guy in my sights as long as possible, (laughs) you know, and and see what that does to me. And so I got about 12 to 15 miles somewhere in there where, you know, they started to kind of just out take off. And I realized I was starting to fatigue a little bit and not going to hold that pace uh, through the rest of the race and as i ran the last 5 or 6 miles i mean i was really hurting but i would just kind of like find some other runner somewhere and try and hang on with them and then when i came around the final corner to the uh, to where the finish sign was visible or archway and the clock you know i saw this thing that said 358 and i'm like Oh man, I, I might be able to get a four hour under four, you know, if I really push it for this last few hundred yards. And so I crossed and at three, just about 359, it was like 358 and change uh, to complete my first marathon. And yeah, I was absolutely destroyed in terms of like trying to walk just the three blocks back to our hotel. And then my wife had to like, I had to lean on her and like she had to help me up over the curbs. and it
0: Sounds familiar. Just,
2: wrecked,
1: just awful. And you looking at me because that's exactly how I looked after my first marathon. She had to help me get back to the hotel.
0: Do we need a wheelchair here? Um yeah, exactly.
1: But
2: there was so much pride at the same time for having accomplished it. It was just like, I had no mm-hmm. idea I could do that. I thought this was sort of for elite people only. And yeah. That filled my heart in a way where within a couple of days, I'm like, okay, what's next, right? And, and so you yeah. start looking for that that next marathon and I had registered then for the Big Sur Marathon in California, and that was for the following spring. And so my second marathon, I I went through a string of injuries in the fall, so I didn't get to run another one. But that second one, the circle back that was so special for me was uh, about mile 16 in that race. I look over and there's this guy, Dean Karnazes, running the course right next (sighs) to me. He goes by. He passed me at mile 16 going pretty quickly, and I'm like, well, it's going to hurt, but I got to. Go by and say thank you to him. So I've just given all this extra energy to uh, catch up to him, and I'm like, I just want to say thank you for writing that book. It, you know, that's why I'm here today. I it gave me the courage to give it a go. And he, I love talking to him. He was so humble, and he's asking me questions and just a mm-hmm. super friendly guys about my age. And, you know, we talked about our families and everything I ended up running two miles with him and just chatting the, for that. And then, you know, then I kind of had to suffer to finish because he took off and, and, uh, <laughs> I used to have too much energy, so I didn't, didn't finish very strong, <laughs> but it just was a magic moment in marathoning to kind of circle back and have that encounter.
1: Mm. he's responsible for so many people signing up for their first marathon yeah yeah (laughs) and you're right he's really humble just down-to-earth guy Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i was just amazed how friendly and and approachable he was and and you Mm -hmm. talked about that he's like people come up and tell me this stuff all the time and he goes i don't know how to take it and i just said well keep (laughs) doing it you're doing amazing things
1: yeah (laughs) happy chemicals good endorphins all around yeah what was the main reason that you uh signed up for coaching and reached out to us?
2: Well, that is a good story too because I was uh lying in uh, at the Honolulu marathon uh, which was in uh, 2018 actually. I I was laying on a cot under a palm tree in the Hawaiian sunshine uh screaming in agony. <laughs> because oh, no. I, was, oh, I was at mile 23 when I had basically uh, collapsed, I, more or less. I, I And the medics came over and they took me to the, the medical tent and laid me on this cot. And I, I had made a couple fundamental errors. I had uh, you know, read David Goggins' book, You Can't Hurt Me. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to power on the airplane on the way to Hawaii. And I'm like, I'm just going to power <laughs> oh. my way through this and I'm going to go hard and fast. And there's no amount oh, of suffering no. I can't take, you know, and, and so I, <laughs> I, which all sounds really good in a nice, you know, airplane seat on the way to Hawaii, but when you right. um, actually go to execute it, oh, it's man. not comfortable. So it's a, it was level ten pain laying there <laughs> because my uh, body, everything from my uh, abdomen down, would all simultaneously cramp in this horrendous way. I mm. mean, like I could see my legs, oh. and forearms, and everything just. And Adam was just like shrink to about two thirds their normal size and I was just screaming and. Discomfort oh, uh, due to oh. no, I didn't. I didn't know what salts or electrolytes or any of that were. I, you know, I drank uh, the water along the way, but uh, you know, they were worried I drank too much. It was actually, uh, you know, the opposite. But as I was laying there, I'm like, okay, I've been thinking about coaching and you know, getting some support in this. But clearly, like the the marathon experience and the training and all that is great, but it's what you don't know that can mm. really take you off track and hold you back from reaching your high goals or your hard goals. And coming out of that experience in December, you know, by, by January, I had uh, reached out and was set up with uh, my first MTA coach, uh, coach Dominique Hamill and got started with you guys. And, uh, by then, you know, again, I was a faithful listener to the podcast. And so I just really felt, I'll say a connection to uh, what, you know, the organization that you have and, but I needed help and I need somebody with some experience that could help me make sense of how to make marathoning a better experience. Cause I, I would see people at the finish line, you know, and they're out after the race, you know, they seem well, a lot of them seem like they're in pretty good shape. I mean, maybe a little sore or whatever, but, and, and I'm like, they can't all be this painful. Like <laughs> yeah. you're like
0: I want what they have <laughs> yeah, exactly
2: I want what they have and I, I want to get better and ultimately at that point I've been doing it for a couple of years you start hearing things about Boston and how cool it would be to go to Boston or those and, you know, so you start raising the bar on your own dreams a little
1: bit mm-hmm. hmm. I just want to say for anyone listening you don't have to wait until something that dramatic happens yeah. before you uh, <laughs> hire a running coach
2: <laughs> highly recommend you don't wait <laughs> <laughs> Screaming
0: in agony at mile 23. Yeah, that's, marathons are hard enough.
2: Well, you know, watching all those runners go by, I couldn't get back in the stream. And then I, you know, I took the, I guess you'd say the medical bus or SAG wagon back to the finish area. By then I'd had enough fluids and stuff. I was starting to get my coherence back, but I I watched all these people finish in this marathon and, you know, they're coming in at that point, hours after I would have, but I'm like, you know, they're getting it done. I failed. It. And mm-hmm. that sense of failure in that moment is like, I got to figure this out because yeah. of all the marathons I've done, I've completed 12. That was the one, only one I didn't complete, but I learned more from that one than all the other 12 combined in, that I finished in terms of humility and uh, the importance of acquiring the right knowledge to, to do these well. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great point. You know, so although it was a terrible experience not being able to finish that marathon, if you hadn't gone through that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have made the progress that you've made since then, mm. you know, in being able to get faster and be stronger after the race and kind of some of those goals that you had set out for yourself.
1: I could tell you have a, a resilient mindset, Bill, because instead of saying, I'm just not cut out for this, I'm not going to be a good marathoner, you said, oh, how can I fix this? How can I figure it out? And what's the knowledge I don't have that I need to go after and acquire?
2: One thing i i 'll say core quality I pride myself on is is curiosity and
1: mm. and it
2: 's just like it helped me tremendously through my career to to find success there and it 's helped me with my running like there 's got to be a better way to do this and you you go out and you look to people who have the answers or have done it before, or experiment i call myself a lab of one you know it 's like <laughs> what might work for my body to get through this and try different things until you find something that does work mm-hmm.
1: Well, we hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Quick break to thank our sponsor, Joint Health Plus, made by Prevenex. It is a joint supplement that's been clinically proven to reduce your joint pain, stiffness, and improve your flexibility. Get this, in seven to 10 days. And if you don't see benefits, actually, they will refund your money. No questions asked. We're really excited to be working with Prevenex. I've been taking the supplement since before I did my last marathon. And they have tons of testimonials from runners on their website. One came in from a listener to this podcast. This comes from Yuko, who's been taking the supplement now for a month. And she says, quote, definitely working. I've been using this for about a month, and I've noticed that some of my joint pain has gone. I'm almost 60 years old, a long-distance runner. I'll continue to use this to see how much more effective it is for my body.
0: So you can see why we're so excited about this product. There's very strong clinical data behind it, which is very important to me. We strongly encourage you to try it and experience the benefits yourself. If you don't experience any benefits within the first 30 days, Prevenix has a no-questions-asked, 100% money-back guarantee, so you literally have nothing to lose. You can use the code MTA to save 15% off your first order of Joint Health Plus. That's at Prevenix.com, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. Use the code MTA to save 15%.
1: Thanks also to our faithful longtime sponsor, UCAN. It's really hard to figure out how to fuel your body when you run. The reason why we started using it years ago is just famously easy to digest. It's just really gentle on the stomach and then it doesn't have a bunch of sugar. Instead, it has what's called Live Steady, which is their patented ingredient that is a slow-release carbohydrate source to give you just a steady release of energy throughout your run or your workout.
0: That's right, and they have expanded their line of products throughout the years, which is very exciting. They've got great energy powder flavors. They have energy bars, which, Trevor, you like to use a lot during your races and just for snacks. They've got energy plus protein. And I think probably my favorite product right now of theirs is the you can Edge Gel. And so it's just so convenient to have the same live steady in a gel form, really easy to carry. I used it for my last 16 miler and fueling was about the only thing that didn't go wrong (laughs) Um, the edge flavors they have currently are orange they've got a strawberry banana and they have a new flavor pineapple which i have not tried yet but i'm very excited to get
1: so check them out at youcan.co forward slash mta with the code mta you can save 20 percent on your order youcan.co forward slash mta so when you started working with dominique What goals did you pursue at that point and how does she help you with the process?
2: Yeah, at that point I was uh, pretty certain I wanted to qualify for Boston. And so I, we, I, Put that challenge. I'm like, can you please help me figure out how to get qualified for for the Boston Marathon? And uh, so she took that challenge on with me and and started to teach me things about you know the hydration and the fueling, the electrolytes, and you know some of this kind of peripheral stuff to running that factors in a, in an important way. But also mm-hmm. strength training. She 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 was a big believer in you know especially with masters runners, uh, making sure we do religiously our strength training. So she she gave me a variety of those kinds of exercises to do. And uh, at that point, I had, um, my spring race was uh, the Big Sur Marathon. Again, I I just, I love that race. So I re-registered for it. And uh, April Came and and went down to Big Sur, and I ran for my age group over, you know, 50 and over at the time. I had to run a 3:30 marathon to qualify for Boston, and I finished in uh, 3:25:15. So I I thought, wow, this four four minute, 45 second cushion and you know, that's gonna be plenty of time to get in and I've got so excited I actually booked a hotel for Boston I was so confident that like I'm gonna go
1: <laughs> in most most years that that was the case you know that'd be that was of time. the
2: case yeah but uh, that particular year you had to be 452 so I missed it by mm. seven seconds mm. uh, and huh. I, I was so disappointed and I was reading the BAA Boston Athletic Association Facebook post about their this standard and everything and, and a bunch of the comments below and you know of course there's a bunch of negative comments you know people are like oh they should get rid of the charity runners or they should uh <laughs> hey, open up more race spots or you know there's all people asking for all this stuff kind of out of their get control. rid of the charity It's
0: <laughs> like really bitter comments
2: <laughs> exactly you're really good the, 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 all these people that are frustrated i get it but it's yep. like uh, but there was one guy that just put a single comment there that stuck with me and he just put run faster and <laughs> I, so i i saw that comment awesome. and i go that is the best advice I've ever seen for how to get into Boston, <laughs> and, and so I, I, I talked a lot with Coach Dominique. I'm like, okay, how do I run faster? You know, and and we went to work on that and managed for 2020. Uh, you know, I managed to have the race that got me, you know, qualified for 2020 Boston. I was all psyched to go. I got the acceptance, and of course, we all know what happened in 2020. So wow, you're thwarted again. Oh, <laughs> yeah, thwarted again. <laughs>
1: So. <laughs> wow so then uh but you probably got deferral right to 2021
2: yeah we got to de- defer to 2021 but uh other things in life come along my my daughter she and her fiance uh chose to that particular weekend uh to get married. And so walking (laughs) I had the choice to either walk my daughter down the aisle or run Boston. (laughs) And I knew that if I chose to run Boston over that experience, I would regret it for life. So uh, actually you know walking her down the aisle is one of the top five moments of my life. So I've no doubt it was the right decision. Mm -hmm. But uh twenty twenty two became eventually my first Boston.
1: Yeah, and we met you at the race. Yeah. That was yeah. fun.
0: Well, I would actually got to meet him, I think it was in May of 2021.
2: Yeah, we were at right. yeah, the Revel Wasatch Marathon, and that was an awesome experience, too. That that mm-hmm. was a big PR gain for me. Uh, in, that was kind of the, I'll say, swan song, working with Coach Dominique, and then I transitioned mm-hmm. actually on that day to working with Coach Steve Walden mm-hmm. uh, with you guys. And so he took over coaching me then, and I started with a, you know, a very good marathon time for me anyway. And he had to make me better from there. So that was his challenge.
1: (laughs) He really loves a challenge like that. And he really loves athletes like you who um, like to go fast. And I'm guessing, Bill, you're kind of like type A, kind of like Angie, like you you do all the training. Yeah. That you're given. (laughs) Well, very, one of the things I, I agree
2: with is the consistency is everything. And it's, Mm. I running it has become over the last several years it's like my core discipline i get up in the morning and i do it before anything else and I was really tested uh, over the last couple of years that way, At a very intense business schedule as commuting back to the East Coast for a major project. And then the last, 2021, I uh, was working in Arizona. And so even to prepare for my marathons in Arizona, it meant the intensity of work, I was having to get up for 5.30 or 6 a.m. Zoom meetings and start my mm. day then. And so at three or 3.30 in the morning, I'm out doing speed work in the suburbs of Phoenix. <laughs> uh you know mm. chasing the coyotes and in the, in the darkness <laughs> and or, you know through the suburbs and it's just getting it done and knowing i've accomplished something early in the day you know irrespective of how the rest of the day goes it's a big win and and i love that about running it just has so many positive virtues and, mm-hmm. yeah and i build everything off of
1: that yeah so much we can learn i'm really looking forward to people hearing this so you ran a killer marathon there at Wasatch, you know, those revel races are so fast and, and beautiful. And, you know, Angie got to run it as well.
0: Well, run, walk
1: it. <laughs> she had a hamstring <laughs> problem that day. I, I felt so bad
2: for her because I was so neat to meet her on the, on the bus out there and talk and everything. And I knew she was going to be running uh pretty close to what i was running and and so i i got to the finish line i had this killer day and i'm like okay i'm gonna film angie coming in and i'll send it to you guys so you can do whatever you want with it but I, I waited and waited and, and she didn't come and she didn't come and I'm like I wait for an hour and I'm like oh my goodness God, I'm like so sorry what is going on and then I thought well, she must have like just got a car ride and taken off or something I don't know but uh, so uh, yeah it was more than an hour and I finally I'm like okay I I am hurt and I just got to get back and, and, right. and refuel but uh, no the, the fact you you hobbled for whatever twelve or fourteen miles of race that's incredible. (laughs) But I was so
0: happy to hear that you had an amazing race because it's like, wow, this was a great course. It was a well-put-together race, and so I was really happy to hear that you met your goal and Mm -hmm. had success out there. That was definitely lifted my spirits.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was was a lot lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it just goes to show you that you just never know how it's going to go out there. You can train as best you can, but there's always these unexpected things. The marathon can throw so much at you. And Angie, after doing 68 marathons, you've had a lot of highs and lows. <laughs> and you got some days you go out there and you think this is going to be the day, man, I'm in good shape, fast, downhill, another revel race. And then boom, hamstring just has different plans.
0: Yeah. One of the challenges of being a master's runner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. When uh, Coach Steve took over and you wanted to improve even more from where you were at, and you were already doing really fast marathons for your age group, so, what did you guys start working on next and and how did the process go from there?
2: Well, we uh talked about you know trying to to work on my speed and kind of continue to build that a little bit so for the fall i you know I thought, okay well, I'm gonna try and pick a appropriate race to go for a good time and I, I thought, well, I'm just going to do the Portland Marathon, which was the you know the local marathon. And as I started running that race, uh, one of the strategies Steve had talked to me about was he said, you know, don't go out too fast. He goes, think of this race like a, you know, you've got an energy budget. <laughs> you you, mm-hmm. you you have a certain amount of energy you can expend. You want ideally you would arrive over the finish line with virtually nothing left, but you don't want to give all your energy energy away too early, and you want to save some for a good hard finishing push. And he said so. When the core of it was basically when you get to mile 19 i want you to take off and go faster but you know prior to that time you're going to be going a little you know, the first 10 miles or so are going to be going a little slower than goal pace so you're kind of stay, banking some energy in the first part of the race and setting yourself up to run strong in the second i had never really raced that way before but when i got to mile 19 it's like okay well this is the part where he said push it and i didn't know how this was going to go but it, you know i felt good at that point but seven miles is a long way still so as I picked up the pace and, and really pushed it, you know, you start catching a few more people, and you're a lot of people around you are suffering pretty hard at that point of a race. But I just kept going, kind of faster and faster. And I got to just beyond mile 25, and I noticed on my watch, like I'm not even at the three hour mark yet, you know. And, and mm. I just gave me this huge surge of adrenaline. I don't know where it came from, but I just dropped the hammer and I ran. The last, you know, 25 to 26 mile in like 635 pace. And then Whoa, the last point man. two. when I got to where I could see the clock by the finisher shoot, I had that PR from Wasatch that was, uh, you know, 307.56 was my PR from Wasatch. And I, I could see 307 in the distance. and I, But I couldn't see the second hand because there was some scaffolding kind of blocking the second hand. <laughs> and I'm like, just run with all you got, you know. And so that point, you' like I just flying you know it's like the, i was just sprinting literally just everything mm-hmm. i got i'm flying past all these people just like get out of the way I got <laughs> and, and i ended up running that in like 540 pace like i have no idea where that came from but i uh huh. i i could watch when i finally got to where i could see the seconds i'm seeing you know 307.50, 307.51, wow. 30752 you know, they're ticking away. And it gets to uh, 307.59 when I crossed the line. And I was like so bummed. I'm like, I can't believe I missed it by three seconds, my VR and everything. But I would forgotten about, you know, the chip versus gun time. Uh, mm-hmm. So I got the extra 12 seconds back and ended up, uh, or 15 seconds back. So I, I ended up finishing, uh, with a PR of 12 seconds faster on, in Portland than I had at Wasatch. And,
0: nice. and so
2: I was, uh, just super energized about it. And my daughter, she, uh, had joined me for the day. She ran her first half marathon. So we were able both to celebrate big accomplishments at the end. She, she goes, I didn't know how this race was going to go. She goes, I, I, I thought I would hate running. I, I really didn't want to like it, but she goes, I loved it. <laughs> so oh, wow, uh, from that day, I uh, kind of planted a seed, which we're gonna follow up. She's in a marathon training cycle right now, and she's gonna um, oh. run the Chicago marathon in October with me. And I'm gonna oh, that's uh, wonderful. run with her. So we'll kind of try and pace her as best I can. And and so oh. it's it's fun how you know running has these side effects that rub off on other people when they, they see you know me. Enjoying it so much, that, at least in my daughter's case, she's like, Well, I want to give that a go. So, yeah, she's I'm, I'm really excited to, to do that with her. So.
0: That's going to be awesome. I love how she said, I didn't want to like running. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's a theme in there that I think is helpful for a lot of us. I mean, it's She's never thought of herself as an athlete. You know, she didn't play a bunch of team sports or anything. So she never really thought of herself as an athlete, but she's discovering her own athletic capabilities and recognizing like, wow, I can do these things. Like, you know, things that were unimaginable to her before she's figuring out what she's capable of. And it's awesome as her father to watch her find that intrinsic motivation to go, mm-hmm. to go do them.
1: So now I want to ask you about something that your father told you, because you shared this story after you, you ran your 50 miler, which we can talk about, that you were inspired or motivated from some advice that your dad gave you before he died. Can you share that story?
2: Sure. My uh, my father in 2017, uh, he had, ultimately it was pancreatic cancer, he discovered about Four weeks before he passed and he had pancreatic cancer. So when he, when he got it and he was diagnosed and the doctors told him, you know, like, this is real, it's going to happen very quickly. You know, he actually, he was 89 at the time and he, he, you know, my dad, just briefly a little background. He, I mean, he, he was my living hero. I, you know, when I think of men that I admire, he was top of the list for me. He, you know, it was very different personality than I am, but he and i you know became i would call exceptional partners and friends you know as as i emerged into adulthood we did so many uh things together that we we're just exceptionally close so when he called me with that news mm-hmm. that you know it this this was kind of the beginning of the end for him you know it, that's that's a hard time but when he was uh, in his last week of life, he was kind of in the hospice situation at that point. We had uh, three very meaningful conversations uh, or experiences together. And one of which was uh, he, he was talking to me a little bit about the family. And he just looked at me and he just said, Bill, you've always been so cautious. Hmm. And, and he just left me with that. He didn't explain wow. it. He didn't give me anything more than that. Huh. And you know that's feedback from somebody that I loved and admired, and he, you know, he was always very direct. But I, you know, I suspect the, the the morphine or some of the things he was on, kind of you know, I, it's almost like there was a true serum in, the, mm-hmm. in some of the things he was saying, where it was very unfiltered mm-hmm. and very, but just very direct. But he he laid that out to me, and you know, I I took that feedback as an incredible uh, gift for me because. I thought he's right I'm you know nearly fifty years old at that point, and i, I was living life all about you know you gotta support the family, you gotta raise a family, you got to take care of your kids, you gotta do all these things right which is all very very important, but to really draw the best of life out it's it's like you gotta be you've gotta be bold you gotta you've gotta take some chances and and push uh yourself and and so it complemented, you know, I, you know, my running and and some other hobbies I have really well to say. Look, I, I can be bolder. The best experiences of life are are going to happen when we do hard things and mm-hmm. pursue personally meaningful, high hard challenges, and that has provided tremendous fuel for me, you know, intrinsically to raise the bar on going after the goals that that i want to go for and mm-hmm. i think one of the things that it gave me confidence to do and I actually used the sun valley marathon that i ran last year to to ponder even further that was his favorite place in the world sun valley idaho and i they have revel had a, a one time limited edition sun valley marathon and i'm going to go run that to honor my dad mm. and I, it was just a given as soon as they announced it i'm like i'm there And Mm. as I I was running that marathon, I just felt this tremendous connection to him. I felt like he was reassuring me that being bold and pursuing my goals and and like I was on the right path. Mm. And so it uh, it, it was funny, just that emotion. Like I didn't even feel the pain of the marathon. I, I just felt this. Like he was literally talking to me through that experience and mm-hmm. ended up without even trying. I ran a three eleven marathon wow. and only six weeks after Wasatch, and then it just like <laughs> came out of nowhere. And and I know that was strength that he was giving me. And it just mm-hmm. has given me courage to pursue new goals like a fifty mile marathon or some mountaineering experiences that uh You know, I always thought, well, those are kind of risky or dangerous or, you know, selfish, maybe whatever. But it's time to do these things. I call them someday goals, goals that I had put off for decades. Like someday I'll do those. Mm -hmm. But now's the time.
0: Yeah. We're not guaranteed any length of time. And so part of that is, like you said, being bold and kind of stepping into those those goals and not putting them off.
1: Yeah, I have this thing I tell myself, life is too short to not, and then whatever that thing is that I feel in my heart. So we just got back from this big family trip to Europe. So I told myself, life is too short to not take my kids. Life is too short to not run the Marathon du Mont Blanc.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's exactly the point, right? It's how do you find that courage and that inspiration to make those things happen that are personally meaningful to you, and and those are the stories your kids will tell from that trip. I'm sure that yeah. you know that y- you'll talk about that as a family for the rest of your days. I mean, they'll, they'll, they will come up again and again. That's awesome that you can share that with them.
1: So when we saw you at the Boston Marathon we talked and there were two things that you were going to do this year you're going to go to a mountaineering school in Ecuador which sounded really fascinating and then also do this trail ultra so does it feel like your marathon training like gave you the the fitness and the confidence to tackle something like climbing mountains
2: Absolutely I mean that's one of the gifts of you know the marathon training and you know that the discipline that it creates is Um, You can apply it to other things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in my case, I mean, my interest is mountaineering because I love the mountains and, you know, for, you know, interesting experiences in life that have made me want to do more in the mountains. But I through my career, I was precluded from doing a lot of those. And so now I'm just like on a rush schedule to catch up. But people can do all kinds of things with that fitness. Once you have it, whatever goals you have, several of the folks in the mountaineering school, I mean, they, they were into cross-country skiing and ski mountaineering and other things that... They do. Uh, one of them was an ultra runner guy. So he and I traded a lot of neat stories. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of ultra marathons, let's talk about your 50 miler. How did the training for that go and, and how did it go on race day?
2: I, I threw Coach Steve a, you know, pretty unconventional coaching problem because I said, okay, I'm going to go to Ecuador for two and a half weeks and climb <laughs> mountains. And then three weeks later, I'm going to go run a 50-miler and you're going to f- tell me how I can do this, you know. And, and to his credit, he's like, okay. Uh, but he, you know, helped me adapt our, the training buildup for uh you know before ecuador and then afterwards to get some of those back to back long runs in and and some some other work to arrive you know as best i could i mean obviously coming uh, out of uh boston and everything i had, had a long build up i had done actually the the boston to big sur challenge uh, mm. so two marathons uh 6 days apart so i i felt really strong and and kind of confident for my running the fitness was there and, and then Coach Steve, you know, really what I needed from him was like kind of go into the beginner's mindset again. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing for this ultra, you know, I don't know what a 50-mile pace should be. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to go run it like I tried to do at Boston for sure. I know that won't <laughs> right. be successful. Uh, you know, I don't know what gear I exactly need. I want to be sure I got the right gear. I, you know, the fueling, you know, is a whole different animal than a marathon. We had a couple calls to just kind of go, through all of that and preparation stuff and and then you know the the one we were kind of stymied on was like the pacing like how how should I push this, you know, with mm-hmm. the level of fitness I have? what What's reasonable to try and go for it? And, you know, he did, to his credit, some really extensive research on the particular race. It was the Mount Hood 50 in Central Oregon. And he, uh, you know, looked at past runners that were kind of in my fitness level and helped guide me. And he initially said, well, you know, I think wow. you could do it maybe 10 and a half to 11 and a half hours and then he came back he's like no looking more around." he goes i think you could get you know around 10 if you have a you know really good day so i i said a uh, call it a high goal of trying to get to 10 hours as, mm-hmm. uh, as, as a goal. And, you know, again, based on zero experience. So he also said, he goes, look, you got to expect the unexpected out there. There's going to be problems. And 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 this is where mountaineering experiences fresh in mind from June to, uh, right into the July race were really helpful because it's, you know, mountaineering had similar experiences. You get these adversities thrown your way with the weather and falls and other things. It's like, you know, you, you got to figure it out in the moment. And it's just you doing it. Like I knew when I took the start line, like, okay, there's going to be some adversities today. I don't know what they're going to be, but I'm going to have to try and do my best to figure it out and Mm -hmm. work through whatever comes. So did you have any
0: falls? Did you, I mean, how did your fueling go? How did that shake out for you?
2: Yeah, well, it's it's, it's funny because I started out and, you know, the one big caution Coach Steve had was like, don't start too quickly. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you race mm-hmm. off the line. And so I, I was running, you know, roughly 10 minute mile pace thinking like, OK, I'm going to, you know, take this easier. But I realized pretty quickly, like, this is too fast. This is mm-hmm. not good. And I, so uh, about seven miles in, uh, a lady goes past me running very strong and i, I just kind of take note of it because you know i would learn later she would be the winner of the race <laughs> you know, so i was like okay I, I went out too fast still even you know like she, she really knew how to manage your energy <laughs> and you know she took the first step very very easy and used her energy later to, to win the race and anyway i, I was Cruising along, and I had kind of formulated a strategy instead of thinking of it as 50 miles. I, I like it do the same thing for marathons. I, I chunk it up, I'll, I'll kind of break the course up into smaller distances, like to fool my mind with. I'm like, there were 10 aid stations. So, you know, the aid station mm-hmm. two was roughly 10 miles, so it was like 9.6 miles, and aid station four was like rough 10.4 miles or something. So, I, I chunked it up into five. Sections and I, I would just tell myself, I'm just running ten miles today. That's that's all I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just taking this is an easy ten miler. You know, just enjoy the course and run ten miles. Get to that aid station. (laughs) Get to that aid station, and you know, of course, the the first ten miles. You know, you're at your strongest. You feel pretty good when you get there, and and uh, there were some awesome volunteers at the aid stations, kind of cheering you on. So it's a different vibe than the the marathon running for sure, but um, felt really strong there, felt really strong through the second 10 mile section. And then the third, you know, I I call them ladders, uh, just my name for it. But (laughs) the third ladder was basically to get back to the start line because we went 14 miles one direction on the Pacific Crest Trail. You turn around, you come back that 14 miles to where you started. And then you go the other way, 11 miles and turn around and come back. So I'm literally a quarter mile from the start finish area when my right adductor muscle in my leg, you know, kind of from my knee to to my hip, it just seizes up. I was going down this little downhill stretch. Mm. And I mean, again, I've been feeling great till then. And then all of a sudden it just locks up and I can't run. I can't walk. You know, it's so tempting in that moment to go, well, the car's literally a quarter mile away. I guess yes. this isn't going to work <laughs> out, you know? Right. I like, yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing I had learned at that mentoring. It was like just stop, assess what's going on. What can I do? I'm here, you know, kind of listening to the body. It's going, you know, I'm realizing it's crying for fluids and it's crying for salts, and so I throw that stuff down, and then I just like, okay, can I, you know, get it to relax a little bit? I take a moment. Finally. You know, it kind of loosens up a little bit, and I start slowly walking, and then I start slowly jogging, and then kind of pick up the pace back to a run. And it's like, okay, it's it's letting me run again. And Mm -hmm. the hardest part was running past that start finish line. No, I'm going 11 miles now in the wrong direction from safety. You know, but (laughs) with this problem, but that that right adductor would would hammer me about four more times through the balance of the race. But uh, each time, it's like, okay, I've experienced this before. For if I do these things, you know, I can get it to let me go again. Mm -hmm. So when I got to that, you know, roughly mile 40, uh, you know, the the fourth ladder done, now I'm turning back to the car and I'm like, okay, this should be good. I'm going the right direction. Now your mind's like, you know, headed back to the barn. There's going to be food and rewards (laughs) and good stuff there. My wife's there. Like she was an angel for kind of being my trail crew there that day, but um, all the right things. And I didn't even get a quarter mile in my legs just hammering me and I, mm. you know, and then I got fur needles in my shoes and I, you know, side uh, the spiky thing. So I, am just like, I had about a mile there, where I, It probably took me 20 minutes to go virtually nowhere, just trying to mm-hmm. regather myself. But mm. then I, I'm looking at my watch and going, well, it's still possible to get conceivably to get to that 10 hour goal. So I, I'm like, just, you know, keep, trying to make forward progress and go and i got to the last aid station before the finish uh it was 5.3 miles from the finish and it was i had an hour and three minutes to go to get to 10 hours for the race time and i'm like well if i 12 minute mile pace if there's any way i can hold that yes. um And I'd been just, you know, completely wiped out with battling the the right leg, but uh, I'm like, just go. And I get a mile down the trail and there's a little bit of a downhill, so I'm able to run pretty good and I'm holding myself at this kind of 11 and a half minute pace and going along. And a route that I didn't see is, you know, you make, again, a kind of like the mountaineering thing. Like you it could be deliberate with your steps. One bad step in 89,000 on this this 50-mile. Mm-hmm. And uh, that route catches me. And instantly I'm just full-on diving out into oh the no. brush. and I, oh. So I call it a Superman dive, just into the bushes. And... <laughs> You know, I I hit and, you know, you're like, okay, don't move just like cell is, is it? Can I move my fingers, my hands, my elbows? Like, is everything okay? Right. And you're disoriented, you're, you know, you're kind of rolled around in the bushes and everything and there's rocks and but you know, I think nothing's broken. And then I, you know, my hips and legs are so cramped up. It's like you can barely stand up. Mm. Uh, so I, what I do, I use the downward dog yoga kind of movement to kind of lift my butt oh, yeah. up first. And th- so I don't have to bend my knees cause they're not bending very much. <laughs> they won't bend. <laughs> so I kind of push bend. myself to a standing position <laughs> and get back up. And I'm like, okay, I'm four miles. I've got, You know, less than 48 minutes now. I go one more mistake like that, and my 10 hour goal is gone. I cannot do that again. So Mm -hmm. I I take off, and I got all the way to about three quarters of a mile from the finish line, and I had like nine minutes to go. And my uh, right adductor just drops the hammer again. You're like no, seriously. <laughs> and like no, right now, please, please. And you know, I'm begging myself. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just keep going. And and I'm watching my watch at this point because I'm down to it like. Three, you know, four minutes, three minutes, and I'm still out in the forest. I see nothing that resembles like a finish area coming. There's no, and finally I come around this one corner, and there's two kids with a Home Depot orange bucket banging on it to kind of do the <laughs> early warning system for the finish <laughs> area to say, hey, there's a runner coming. Uh, so, I, I, you know, yeah. at that point I just bolted like a rabbit, best I could, and pushed across the finish line in 9:59. So I made my 10 hour goal, and
1: uh, really had to battle yourself out there. Physically, mentally, emotionally.
2: Absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny because it's like that—that that nobody else knows that goal. It doesn't mean anything to anybody mm-hmm. else. But to me, it's like, okay, if I'm here and I'm pushing myself to see like what I'm capable of and it's within striking distance, mm-hmm. it's like, let's go. Let's, let's see Why what not? we can do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've taken falls on running trails several times, and when you get up, you look at what you tripped on. It's so small, like this tiny little root mm-hmm. sticking out. I'm like that—that that is what I missed. And but it's then always you, the roots. <laughs> then usually when it happens to me, it's later in my run. I've already gone, you know, 15, 16 miles or something on a long run, and my legs are just tired. And my, I'm not lifting my feet up mm-hmm. high enough. I'm just kind of yeah. shuffling.
0: It's like the knees won't bend anymore, so you're just kind of doing the <laughs> best you can. <laughs>
1: Well, I had
2: one uh, <laughs> earlier route that I tripped on that I managed to get my my right leg hooked the root or something, and I put my left leg way out an extra distance, you know, to catch my fall so I wouldn't fall. And I don't know if you ever saw that movie Bloodsport with John claude Van Damme many years ago, but there's a scene where, you know, he's being wishboned between the bamboo trees by his oh, master no. to stretch yeah. his hips. And I just felt like somebody had ripped my <laughs> hips, you know, Ooh. ripped me right up the middle <laughs> and with that overstretched on these on these uh, stiff boarded legs. And it was just oh, like, oh! You know, <laughs> scream, and, and then uh, I uh, a- afterwards, it's like, oh, that actually felt pretty good. It opens me up again. You know, <laughs> like, that's what the, I needed. In the moment it- like crazy, but it was like, oh, now I feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Man, wow.
0: Wow. Well, congratulations on finishing your first 50 miler, accomplishing that sub 10 hour goal. I think you said that you placed in your age group. Is that true?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was it was funny because I I know I was leading or believed I was leading my age group uh, until about mile 43 when I was having all those problems and then uh, a guy that like, oh, he might be 50 year older going by me and he was a really good power hiker and he just mm-hmm. we had a big hill there and he just motored up that thing and I, I was just in the pain cave at that point unable to you mm-hmm. know put that kind of speed together and so he got by me and uh, so I ended up uh, finishing second in my age group um, for for the race. Cool. So that was just a little feather uh, in the cap that I yeah. didn't expect. That was really, really
1: oh, fun. Yeah. That's
0: so exciting.
1: <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you, Bill. Thank you for being part of our community and sharing your stories too on the podcast here. I know yeah, this are has gonna, been great. Yeah, get a lot of inspiration from it and just going after life. Well, it's been uh, just
2: a tremendous pleasure to, to get to know both of you and, and even more so you, you don't realize how much your stories... Uh, are inspirational to the community out there. I mean, I would just tell you, as 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 a member of your community, like Angie, your accomplishment of, of running the 50 states and persevering through Wasatch, which I, I you know <laughs> saw you endure to some extent. Or like I mean, like the, the, that's really impressive. And and you know, I I, I love the recap of of your uh, marathons in the Alps, there, Trevor. I just I think that's you know a fantastic goal to to run all of those. And you know, my my love of marathons comes from running. Marathons marathons in beautiful places and, mm-hmm. and, and those sound amazing. So Oh yeah.
1: You'd
0: love them for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm hooked, man. I <laughs> I, I love to run in the mountains. I love those trail marathons.
0: I'm sure you uh, took some time to recover after the fifty miler. Do you have any goals for the rest of the year or are you just kinda waiting to see?
2: Well, um, we're going to run Chicago with my daughter in October. And then yes, okay. uh, Coach Steve is he's prepping me for New York City Marathon in oh, uh, November. So going one of my goals is trying to hit all the majors. Uh, and then I just found out this week that I got through Marathon Tours, a entry into the London Marathon in oh, next April. Wow, so
0: exciting. Yay. So <laughs> it's
2: like, wow, the stars have kind of aligned uh, over this year to put a lot of the majors, uh, you know, the program. So mm-hmm. and then I just committed to uh, a climbing expedition with the same organization back in Argentina in December so the goal wow. there if we hit, hit the weather right and everything is to climb a mountain called Aconcagua which is uh, the highest mountain in the Americas and mm. Um, mm. so that's a continuation of my mountaineering exploration and I'm really excited about that so that'll t- that'll be the month of December.
0: You've got some big things planned for the rest of the year. That's really exciting.
1: Definitely. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: We can't wait to hear how it goes for (laughs) you.
1: Looking forward to continuing to follow your journey. And I'm sure we'll see you out there one of these marathons Mm -hmm. again.
2: Absolutely. I hope that's the case. And I look forward (laughs) to it very much.
1: All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Bill Drinkward. Man, just so cool to watch him go out and pursue adventures. I told him, like, man, you're doing what I want to do in, like, the next, I don't know, in 10 years from now.
0: That's right. <laughs> and it's so important to enjoy and really live in the present moment, but also have things that you're pursuing, goals and things that you're excited about. It's a great incentive to stay healthy and active so that you can enjoy a healthy future.
1: And also if you see the wisdom in hiring a coach like Bill has done, you know, to work with someone who's already been there, done that, uh, and can help you with uh, the next steps and save a lot of time and frustration, please reach out. We have an awesome team of coaches, 14 now just highly experienced and accomplished coaches on our team. You can find out more about Academy membership and coaching when you visit us at marathontrainingacademy.com. And also, we'd like to thank the Revel Race Series for sponsoring this episode. You heard Bill talk about running the Revel Wasatch. Well, they have another great marathon event. This one's in Southern California, and it's called Revel Big Bear. It is in San Bernardino, uh, the Redlands area, and the race date is November 12th. So you can run through the beautiful San Bernardino National Forest. Of course, it's fast, beautiful, and downhill. That's the signature of Revel Races.
0: That's right, the half marathon drops 3,161 feet, and the marathon drops 5,083 feet. You'll definitely have the benefit of that downhill. And Revel always has big, wonderful medals. They have four race shirt options, and they offer free photos and video. To register, just go to runrevel.com, and you can use the code MTA10 to save $10 off.
1: Once again, that's the Revel Big Bear Marathon on November 12th. Get 10 bucks off with the code MTA10 when you go to runrevel.com. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. You guys are awesome. Be safe out there. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life.